we are on episode number 45 of the Gospel of John. We'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. But before you turn to John 14, or while you turn to John 14, let's see how dexterous you are. Uh, flip on over to Philippians chapter 2 as well. Because uh, we're going to be talking about Jesus Christ being the way, truth, and the life, John 14. But Philippians 2 has something to say about this. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. And he says this, verse 5, Philippians 2, 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. So he's going back telling us how to be Christians, how to be like Christ. By the way, that's where Christian means, someone who is like Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. Who, speaking about Jesus Christ now, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Hey, remember when we started a whole series on John way long time ago? We, we were in John chapter 1 for a very long time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only Son who is at the Father's side, has made Him known or has revealed Him. So we talked about God and the Son and the Word and them all being one, very clear about that. And then we went into John 3, must be born again, salvation only is Him. And then we talked about this is eternal life, that you would know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom He have sent. And then we looked at the end of John, that we're not there yet, and we said these things are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in His name. Very key that it all wraps around God being revealed or to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and being one with God, God revealing Himself by being Himself. And so this says the same thing. Jesus Christ, who though He was equal with God, He was in fact God Himself, considered that nothing to be grasped onto, but He emptied Himself. This is the, the incarnation of God, Jesus becoming man. He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 100% God, 100% man, a mystery to us, but that's what God did. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, no other name, Jesus Christ, God eternally, who emptied himself and became a man, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Master, the Greek is there, Kyrios, Master, to the glory of God the Father. The ultimate is for all people. God's will, it says, for, is for all to be saved, to come to repentance, and to confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, that's important that you realize that because Jesus here in John 14 is making an undeniable claim that He is God. That he's the only way to God, and that he, in fact, is God. And we're going to crack that open today a little bit because this is an important claim of Jesus. Because like I was sharing with somebody earlier this week, you can't say those kind of words and not cause division. Someone can't say, I'm the only way to heaven. In fact, I'm the only way to the Father. In fact, I am the Father. So if some human is claiming to be the gate to heaven and God himself, he can't just be a, a priest or a prophet or a good teacher he either has to be what he said he was, to in fact be God, and then Philippians said, because of that, God has exalted him to the highest place, and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Or he's not. There's no middle ground. He's not just a good person. In fact, he's, you know, you've heard this, but he has to be totally a liar. He was tricking everybody, or he was 
self-deluded, right? I've been accused of being self-deluded before, thinking I'm something that I'm not, right? You ever been there? And Jesus thought he was the Messiah, but he really was just the son of a carpenter, and he was tired of building things with stone. So he claimed to be God. No. I mean, could have been, but that's your only alternative. You can't just say, well, he's another in the long line of good teachers, and he fits in with everybody else. No. He makes extreme claims, and it's either real or it's not. So let's break it down. John 14, starting in verse 3, because we were at the end of 3 and the beginning of 4 last week. And if you remember, I hope you remember. I hope you don't come to church and not remember. It'd be really sad if you came to church and didn't remember what the preacher said. Not because I think my words are so important to remember, but because I'm primarily sharing with you the oracles of God, right? The very word of God. Jesus is the word made flesh, which you hold in your hands is a paper form of that. You're holding on to paper Jesus. So I, when I'm preaching to you the Word of God, I pray that you would remember some of it. So last week, we were talking about the destination. It wasn't last week, because we had a missionary last week. But last time I spot, spoke, last episode, episode 44, was on heaven. And we had Joe Bailey over here, remember, singing, I can only imagine. And I think I got out that big rope illustration. Do you remember? The, at least you remember that. You can't remember what I said, but you can remember what I did. And had that rope that stretched around the whole room. And we talked about the surety of our destination is heaven. So don't have your eyes just what's happening here. Because you're going to be so disappointed if you're worried about what happens in the next 80 years of your life. You might, you might end up being 80 years old and have to have your hip replaced. You're like, bummer, I didn't plan for that. But if your eyes are on eternity, then you can say with Paul, these are light, momentary afflictions compared to the eternal weight of glory what's out before me. Get your eyes up and see what's ahead. So last week... Last episode, we talked about the sure destination of heaven. If heaven's not real, I'm a, just as bad a fraud as Jesus Christ. Why would I devote my life to being a pastor if there wasn't really heaven? It's all about spending eternity with God forever and all the sin and all the death and all the suffering gone. So if last time we talked about the surety of heaven, today's a good follow-up. We're going to talk about how to get there. It's kind of important to know the path to the destination. If there's an event going on that you really want to be at, I'm one of those guys that like maps it out four different ways. I check it on Google Maps. I check it on Apple Maps. I print out a paper map. I call somebody who's been there before and say, you sure how to get there? I want to make sure I get there. Which is why, of course, what is... what is, Ginny, what does B-I-B-L-E Bible stand for? Yes, it's the map to heaven. Your basic instructions, not very basic sometimes, but it is to God. Your basic instructions before leaving earth. That's why the best thing you can do as a Christian is read your Bible. I mean, I was thinking about it. I think about a lot of things, but I was thinking about, I'm here teaching you the word of God. But if you're not in the Word of God, immersing yourself in the Word of God, then it's, only, it's not going to be good enough. Sundays have to be the dessert of the daily meal that you have being in God's Word because it's your basic instructions before leaving earth. It's your roadmap to heaven. And Jesus here explains that today. And I feel like sometimes we respond like some of his disciples do. So Jesus says... Talking about heaven, and if I go to heaven, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. That's our great hope. That's why we say the words Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, 
you may be also. And that he looks out among his disciples. He'd been with them three years. I've been here five years, by the way. You're like, whew, seems like forever. I've been here five years, and so I can say to you, and so you should know the way by now. You know the way. We've talked about it for five years. Jesus is the only way. There is no other way. But look what his disciples answer. Thomas, right? He's the doubter. He's not doubting anymore. Well, yeah, he's still doubting at this point. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we then know the way? Now, I know what comes after that. It's a famous verse, John 14, 6. Somebody quoted it over here. But stop right here. His disciples are still confused. Last week, they was confused when he said, I'm going away. They're like, where are you going? Are you going to Eltopia or all the way to Tri-Cities? Wait a minute. If you go to Yakima, we're not really sure how to get there. And he's like, no, I'm going to heaven. And he says, okay, I'm going to heaven, but you know the way. And now they're like, no, we, we don't know the way. We've never been to heaven. His disciples are confused with his teaching and his words about leaving. And now they're confused about where he was going and what is that way. It's because they, yet, they are yet to see that he is the way. They failed to grasp that he is indeed God. They still believe he's like the prophet, or he might even be the Messiah, or he's a good man, or he's going to restore the, the country. But, he, I mean, and to give them a little bit of grace, let's use grace as an example, to give him a little bit of grace, what if somebody in this church stood up and be like, okay, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Son of God, I'm the next Virgin Mary, or whatever, you know? It'd be hard to believe that the, a person among your midst, who you just thought was a normal, I mean, Jesus... It was really Joshua, and it's as common a name as today's name, John. So what if somebody in your church named John tried saying they were the Messiah? You'd be like, well, you're a good guy, and you grow good crops, but I don't know about, like, God's son, right? It's hard to, so you can understand that even the disciples who followed him, believed him, and saw his miracles, to take that leap that he's actually God in the flesh, God made man, would be really hard. So they're having a hard time coming up to that. But notice what Jesus said, the famous verse, I am the way... And the truth and the life. We're going to break down those three things, those claims of Jesus, because they're either true or they're not. And if they're not true, then it's all, it's done. Walk away. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But then he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's in red because we're going to come back to that at the end of the message. Why does he throw that in there? He's talking about heaven, but then he says, well, no one comes to the Father except through me. Let's see what he means about that as we go on. So first, Jesus said, I am the way. So here's some important scriptures to show that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And I think probably in this room, you all believe this. But in our world, that's not taken for granted anymore. It's called ecumenicalism. Everybody wants to believe that everybody else is right. We're all right. Kind of like, oh, anyways, so we're all right. There's, there's, there's many paths to God. And so you can believe whatever different religion you want. And we're all talking about the same God. Jesus said... I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And in Acts, they preached salvation. Acts 4.12, salvation comes from no one else. For there is no other name given which, among men by which you must be saved. There's only one name given, and it's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in flesh himself. And in jo Jesus claimed himself in John 10.9, one of the other I am's. Remember, there's how many? Seven, perfect number, seven I am statements of Christ. Seven times he claimed to be the great I am. He said, I am the gate to eternal life. All who enter through me will be saved. Listen, friends, as much as you love your friends and family who follow different concepts and ideas, Jesus said, I'm the only way in. 
I'm the only salvation. There's only salvation in my name. I'm the only name that's being glorified. I'm the only way to heaven. I'm the only way to the Father. It's either true or it's not. Our salvation stands on Jesus alone. And then he said, I am the truth. John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You shall know the truth, the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. So Jesus could have said, you, you shall know me, right? Or, or look at the next verse. You make them holy through truth. The truth is your word. So Jesus isn't here physically. He lives in us via his spirit, but he also is here via the word. Jesus, paper Jesus, what you're hanging on to. You shall know the truth, the Bible, Jesus. The Bible reveals Jesus. You shall know the truth, and the truth is set you free. Free from what? Well, free from the penalty of sin, free from death, free from hell and destruction, free from yourself, free from unmet expectations. You shall be free indeed, free to love and serve God. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So you... Now, I'm not going to go too far with this, because like Pam was sharing the other day, the thief on the cross next to Jesus knew, recognized who Jesus was, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Right? So you have to know the person to be saved. But then how to live and be totally set free while you're still on earth, you better get to know the word. The, like she said, the basic instructions before leaving earth. The manual of how to get from here to heaven. Yes, we've got Jesus. We're going there. But what's the path to get there? And so that's why we want to know our Bible. And that's why it says in John 17, 17, make them holy through your truth. Your word is true. This is, that will be there in a few weeks, months, or years. John 17 is a few chapters ahead. That's called the high priestly prayer. That's where Jesus is crying out to God on behalf of his disciples before he leaves them, before he goes to the cross and dies. And he cries out, Lord, make them holy through your truth. Your word is truth. The, the cry of God for us to know the truth. And so I wrote, this, the way is the way of truth or the path of freedom. Jesus is the truth. And so knowing Jesus sets you free from the penalty of sin and death. Jesus is the word made flesh, but we also have God's written word, which reveals Jesus. So to know Jesus means to spend time in his presence like his disciples did, right? Knowing him as a person, which is, I would say, prayer or worship or meditation because Jesus isn't physically here, but you can still spend time like his disciples did to know him as a person, spend time in his presence. But also, because of the second verse, it's also not just knowing him as a person, but knowing the truth about him, which is reading your Bibles. So I'm going to ask again, like I ask every Sunday, and I will for the whole year of 2020, because it's the year of seeing God clearly. Who is attempting to see God clearly this week by doing something on their sticker charts? I know that sounds funny, but putting a sticker on because you read and prayed as a family, raise your hand. Raise your hand. It's not pride. It's encouragement. Look, there's at least half the church that is still reading and praying out loud as together. Now, if you don't like stickers, there was one guy that said to me, I hate those stickers. Okay, well, you don't have to do the stickers, but I still want you to be reading and praying. Those are the basics of Christianity. And why are we saying to do it out loud as a family? Why not? Be blessed. Listen, if, if you're resisting, because if one of you is up here preaching and I'm sitting back here, I'd probably be a resistant guy as well. If you tell me to raise my hand or do this or say this or look at your neighbor, I'm probably not going to do it, okay? But don't resist. Try it for a while. As a family... I don't care if you just read one little paragraph. Open up the Word of God that's treasure. This is your life. 
Moses says to the Israelites, open up the Word of God and read it out loud as a family. And spend a little bit in time of prayer together. It, it, family prayer is a good thing. And it doesn't have to be the same thing over and over. Pray about different things. I was telling somebody this week that up until a few years ago, I, it was kind of a vague thing, kind of a case-by-case -case thing. But I finally decided to write a premarital counseling agreement that the couple must sign if, I, if we're going to be involved in their premarital counseling and doing their wedding, right? So I say, this is what I commit to you, and this is what you commit back to me, and if we can't agree to these terms, then go find somebody else, right? Uh, well, in that is, as a couple, reading the Bible together, I wanted to put daily, but I don't want them to like feel guilty and lie to me if they're not doing it daily. So I said on a regular basis, okay? But that means daily. The intention is try to do it daily. Reading the Bible out loud together, praying together out loud, and going to church on a regular basis. Those, those are non-negotiables. There's others, but those are the ones we're talking about today because it's a premarital, so you know there's other things we talk about, obviously. Okay, but uh, it's true. I will not get involved as a pastor in being the voice of God saying, you are blessed and, and be married and God honors this covenant. He still might without my blessing, but I'm not going to stand before God if that. If the couple won't even commit during their engagement phase while they're the most in love and most wanting to do everything right and they're getting premarital counseling, if they can't even commit to going to church regular and reading the Bible together and praying together, it, it, it's, it's, I don't want to be involved in that situation, right? So that's how important I feel it is. And if you don't get started, you know this, if you don't get started then, how much harder is it to get started later, right? To get the, the thing together. And so I'm encouraging you again, if you've never done it, just try it. You'll be blessed. Be in God's Word together as a family. Read it as a family. Let the water wash you and be praying for whatever's going on. And, and lastly but not least, because, you know, I get off on tangents. This is a tangent, by the way, but I feel it's important, is husband to wife, not counting the children, husband to wife, you... You get to know your spouse on a more intimate level when you actually hear them pray. It'll actually give you peace and trust because sometimes you begin to doubt the goodwill or the good nature of your spouse because you have disagreements and you have arguments and you have different opinions. But when you pray, you remember, wow, they really do love God and they really do love me and this is a good-natured person. And so do it. Please, read your Bibles and pray together because that's the way and the truth. And finally, the life. John 10.10 Jesus said in a modern translation, I have come to give you real life, abundant life, eternal life. Remember, the destination is heaven. Remember the rope. It's not just abundant life here, though for some of us we get it. Many of us here have lived blessed, abundant lives beyond what we could have imagined or certainly deserved. But he's giving us eternal life. The destination is heaven. Jesus is the only one that can give you eternal life. And in this passage, John 3.16, that we all know, just before that, he explained, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And before that, he said, but you have to actually believe that, Nicodemus, and you must be born again. It's a supernatural birth where the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you, and you're no longer an enemy of God. You're now a child of God. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can put... Only God can put the Spirit of God in you. Uh, uh, some religious leader or some church pastor or some belief or philosophy can't do that. 
The whole point of the Old Testament, we're finishing up the Old Testament. The kids are like, finally, we're finishing up the Old Testament in Sunday school, right? We just did Ezra and Nehemiah, and we have First and Second Chronicles to do. And you think, well, that's not how the Old Testament ends because we do it chronologically. And the whole message of the Old Testament was God has, has this plan, these laws and rules and, and this righteous living, and, but it can't be forced from the outside. People need new hearts. You have to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't just do it by some sort of religion. And so I wrote this. Jesus offers real life. He's the bread of life. He's living water. This life that we live here, this six inches on the rope that goes around the room of your whole existence. This is not the real life. This is the shadow life. We so believe that the physical is the real and the spiritual is the shadow. The physical life lasts for a hundred years or less. The spiritual life lasts for billions of years. This is the shadow. This is the dream. True life starts when we give our son, when the son gives us eternal life. Eternal life does not start when you get in heaven your eternal life started the day you made Jesus Christ your Savior and Lord, and He gave you eternal life by putting His Spirit inside you. It says it's a down payment guaranteeing what's to come. That's why it's called being born again. Eternal life starts now. So, because of that, my friends, I have a challenge for you. If that's true and you've experienced it, which we have, then we are the most fully alive people on the planet. Okay, I'm going to break into it. I got a river of life flowing out of me. Right? If we really are the most fully alive people, please let's show it. Don't hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. We got to be those people who let the river of life and the light of Christ shine. We are the most fully alive. Listen, when you go to school, I know because I substitute. Not very often. Lots of times I turn it down. It's hard work, man. I'm not used to it. Okay? When you're in the school, let your light shine. When you're out with your sports team, when you're hanging out with your friends, when you're at work, when you're at home with your family, when you're all by yourself, have the river of life flowing out of you. Have the light of Christ shining out of you. We are the most fully alive. People, people are hiding the fact that they're living lives of desperation. They're lonely. They're lost. They're sad. They're hopeless. And you have the answer. Jesus Christ, let your light shine. We should be the most fully alive everywhere we go because we are the most fully alive. So now I go back to the passage and I close with a couple verses. Back to the story. Picking up at verse 8. So Thomas was complaining before, now you got Philip. So after Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The shofar blows. Rhonda, is that you? Yeah, it's good. Good. As long as you don't change your ring to him, I always know who to blame. <laughs> Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. Now that sounds a little bit spiritual. Right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Philip was like, okay, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough for us. Look at Jesus' response. Jesus said in verse 9, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. If you want a scripture to use that is the most clear, there it is right there. His own disciples like, show us the Father. And Jesus like, the reason I told you that no one comes to the Father but by me is I am the Father. This is a big deal. I said this, if you have seen Jesus, 
then you have seen Father God. They are one. That's why He is the only way to the Father, because it's all Him. So when He says, I can show you the way, that's because He is the way. When He says, I can lead you to the Father, that's because He is the Father. Now, I know in, in theology, trying to understand a triune God, a God who is both Father and Son and Holy Spirit, is kind of complicated. I, I, I'm not going to say that it doesn't stretch your brain, but I will say this. It's okay to want to know about God, but God really wants you to know Him, not just about Him. For you to think that in your limited mental capacity as a human, now I know 80% of Americans believe they're in the top 20% of intelligence, so we all think we're up there, okay? If you want to know about God, the idea that we could fully comprehend the nature of the God of the universe is kind of out there. In fact, that's where most man-made religions fall into error is when they think we should be able to fully explain the divine, sovereign God. Scripture says that we see through darkened, murky glasses right now. We see through glass that's been blurred by sin. We can't fully explain God. But it also shouldn't be beyond at least some form of comprehension. And so you can see yourself in nature how the three-in-one happens all the time in the world, even yourself. You know, you have a physical body and you have a mental capacity mind, but there's more than that. You're not just a dog or a cat. I'm not saying all dogs don't go to heaven, but I'm saying you're not just a dog or a cat. You have a soul inside you. You're a three-part being. There's the, there's the real you that's going to go on forever. Now, because God is God, okay, he can separate his three parts. Okay, so the Father can be up in heaven and the Son can be down there and the Spirit can be inside his believers. That's God. But the idea that he made us in his image helps us understand that there's this triune part of us as well. Now, if I take your mind out of your body, you're going to die. If I take your soul out of your mind, you're going to die. But you're this three-part being as well. And so when Jesus says, look, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, I can show you the path of the Father because if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, then we realize that Philippians makes sense when it says that he emptied himself of the full glory that he had as God and became a human so that he could live and die for us. But he was God. He was 100% God and 100% man. That's a big deal. That's, a, that's, a, that's an amazing claim, which is why it's very important that the resurrection of Christ isn't a fanciful tale that he really rose from the dead. He has to be God. He has to be sinless. He has to really die, and he has to really rise again for everything he claimed to happen, happen. And so he says to Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And finally, in chapter, chapter 14, verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Now that you believe that about Jesus, what is the application for you here? Why are you here in church today? What is God saying to you? How does this apply to you as we show people the Father? What is the ministry mode of Jesus? Look what he says. I'm in the Father. The Father is in me. Right? We, we, we are in Christ. It says that in Scripture. You must be in Christ. But it also says that Christ must be in you. It says if you do not have the Spirit of Christ... You do not belong to Christ. So just like Jesus, you are in Christ. You're in his family. You're adopted into his family. But now the divine nature of God, the Holy Spirit, a part, a deposit, the part of God's very divine nature has been placed in you. So now God's in you. So what are we supposed to do? The words that we say 
aren't supposed to be our own authority. It's not, I think this, or I think this, or this should be, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. We're following the pattern of Jesus of saying the word of God, speaking the word of God, and doing the works of God. Not what we think, or the church thinks, or is a good idea, but getting our direction from God. That's what made Jesus effective, representing. That's why we're called as Christians, why we don't automatically go to heaven the minute we get saved. I mean, if that's the whole goal is just to get you saved, then why don't you go to heaven as soon as you accept Jesus? It's because it says that God is patient, waiting for all to be saved. And so we're here as ambassadors representing Christ. That's the best picture of what Jesus is trying to say here. Now that we've been empowered by God and we know his words, we are ambassadors representing here him. And so we should be speaking his words, his truth, and his life. So I wrote this. So here is a pattern to follow, like what Jesus did. God lives in us through his spirit. That's very clear in Romans chapter 8. So we live unto God, representing God to the world and empowered by God via his spirit. I'm going to say that again. God lives in us through his spirit, Romans 8. So we live our lives. That's why it's called making him Lord. <laughs> master. We live unto God. He's like our boss. We live unto God. And then as an ambassador, we're representing God, but we're not left to do it on our own strength because we're empowered by God. So it's not my good works right here. He says, the father who dwells in me does his works. It's not my good works, but the very works of God in and through me. That is amazing. It's not your good works. You're doing good works, but you're doing them unto God, representing God, empowered by God. So really, it's not your good works. It's God works in and through us. We participate as the body of Christ. That's why he uses that terminology in doing the very works of God. The idea that the sovereign God has chosen to live and work through us, that he's going to reach this world through us. He's going to reach your family through us. God's very divine nature living in us, empowering us, and leading us. That's how we get true authority. You don't get authority because you've been to a certain Bible college or somebody's uh, given you a name of pastor because you've gone to some ritual. It's not by men or by religions or churches, but from God himself. As God lives in us, and empowers us and speaks through us, then the authority is because we're representing God. That's what an ambassador does. It's not his personal authority. It's the authority that he's been given by the one he represents. And so when we think about God's spirit living in us and him empowering us and giving us the authority to live for him, that reminds me of the scripture that says that we stand before God with reverence and awe because it's a holy God that who we represent. We are called to represent God to this world. And that's an amazing thing. It's a humbling thing. And like Jesus, it says that we are then to humble ourselves, and that God will then carry out his will. He'll, he'll, he'll do the rising and the falling, the humbling and the exalting. Our job is to humble ourselves before God and allow him to use us. So two parts about today's message. Number one, the priority of understanding that Christianity is centered on Jesus Christ. It rises or falls on him being the way, the truth, or the life. It rises or falls on him truly being God in the flesh, on him living a sinless life, truly dying, and truly being born, raised again from death. But then also, as we are 
followers of Christ, we walk in His steps, and the pattern for us to be living out the model of the early church that I read in the prayer time is for us to be remembering that it's not a religion or a club or an idea or a philosophy or my idea or your idea. It's the very words of God that we read that we're empowered by God to represent Him in this world, that we are doing the very works of God as He lives in us and through us. And that goes back to, sorry, my same reminder again and again that I'm really not sorry for. And that's why it's so important to be connecting with God on a daily basis through the study of His Word and through prayer, because how else are we going to know what our King, our Lord, our Savior, our boss, our Father wants us to do if we're not spending time knowing Him as a person by relating to Him through prayer, through worship and meditation, but also knowing the specifics of what He wants us to do by studying His Word and hearing from Him. I hope you're encouraged. Let me pray for you, and then we'll be done with the closing song. Father, I thank You today that as we go through John, and we're on episode 45, and we've been here forever, and we're in chapter 14, and we've got six more chapters to go, Father, that You would give us an excitement to be in Your Word every day, because Your Word is truth, and the truth sets us free. Help us to be those people who read Your Word, study Your Word, pray over Your Word, ask for You to reveal it to us. But then finally, my response is my responsibility that we'd step out and be obedient. I pray for all of us here that if God has spoken to us at all today, if there was anything that was clear in whatever I spoke, that you would have us write it down or journal it or share it with somebody so that we are obedient to carry it out, so that we would be like Jesus, a humble ambassador representing the king of the universe and be faithful in all the things you've called us to. Thank you for making us holy and empowering us to be holy. We praise your name forever. Thank you.